0: Welcome to Hunt Harvest Health, the podcast, with your host, Ryan Lampers, aka the Stelly Hunter. Howdy. And myself, Dr. Hilary Lampers, where we share our love for ancestral living and the health topics of the modern age. You can follow us at huntharvesthealth.com, Instagram, and Facebook for more podcasts, recipes, and stories. All right, let's do this. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Hunt and Harvest Health podcast. Dr. Hillary here, it is a Sunday, middle of May, it's beautiful outside, I think it's in the 70s here in Montana, so we're starting to get a little bit of, I guess, spring and summer, which is wonderful. Um, I had done a post on Instagram this week, uh, I've just been doing these little mind dumps on Instagram, so if you don't follow us at Hunt Harvest Health on Instagram, go ahead and do that. And once in a while, I'll just do a video. Usually, it's driving to or from work because that's when I get time alone, pretty much. But uh, I'll just do talk about certain things that I've been thinking about and patients that maybe cases that I've dealt with. And so this week, I did one on um, anemia and iron deficiency anemia, and just kind of dealing with women this week at work who have had it and are struggling with it, and then also. Um, working with some men that are having anemia. And I thought it would be pretty cool to talk about that as a health topic, because I think it's very applicable at least to 50% of the population, which are women out there. And then, um, you know, what are some reasons that men would be having anemia, et cetera. Also, I see a ton of thyroid dysfunction. And I think it's important to understand how anemia, iron deficiency anemia, and how iron plays into thyroid function. So I thought we'd just do a, a, a quick little podcast on that. Um, my plan is now. so I asked a question on Instagram a couple of weeks ago. What do you want me to talk about on the podcast? And overwhelmingly you guys wanted me to talk about health topics. but because of the question I asked on Instagram, I got so many responses that I could literally do two podcasts a week for months and have never-ending topics to talk about. So, sound like a good plan? Um, I know that the podcasts that I listen to, uh, a lot of them are daily, or they are multiple times a week, and that's um, really what I'd like to do, is just have a reference for you guys, so that you can come here often, and learn new things. Um, Obviously, that's applicable to our community, but when it comes to health, health is applicable to every person because pretty much the same rule applies when it comes to physiology and certain conditions. Obviously, men and women are different. Um, I haven't talked a whole lot about females because 85, eighty five, eighty, eighty five percent of our listeners are men, but that's really changing. And I've gotten so many messages. I was kind of shocked on Hunt Harvest Health. Um, Instagram, when I asked this question, how many women are asking questions? So that says to me, a lot of women are listening to the podcast. And then I also got a lot of men asking questions related to their gals. So that says to me, you care guys out there about your women's health. And um, that's really motivating to me. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm really just going to kind of go down the list, pick random topics, maybe pick topics that I'm seeing a ton of at work. Um, And then I'll Also, if you have any topics you want me to talk about, you can throw it in there. Um, You can, probably the best way to do it is to send me a message through Instagram. Um, And you can also email us if you want at info at stahealthyhunter.com or yeah, that's probably the best email. Um, And we can go from there. Also, make sure that you are um, subscribed to our newsletter email uh, for Stealthy Hunter. You can also get on our email list for Stealthy Nutrition. Now, Stealthy Nutrition is our actual nutritional company. Um, We do sell CBD supplements on there. We also are selling non-CBD supplements on there. And I have a bunch of new products coming out, like... This next week. Um, Right now, it's just a matter of getting them on the website. And what's exciting about that is that I know for years, a lot of you have downloaded and done the gut restoration program, which has been on the website at Um, huntharvesthealth.com. Thousands of people have done that. And a lot of you are ordering the supplements that are complementary to that or recommended in the program through the WellEvate account that I set up years ago. I was like, why do we not have a gut restoration stack on our website so that you can get the program for free? And if you decide to do the supplements, you can, you can get them straight from us. You don't have to go through the, um, the middleman, which I notice a lot of people will go to Wellavate, like they're going to go buy the supplements and then they never follow through. So either you're buying your supplements on Amazon, which I know a lot of people do, um, or you're getting them online somehow, or you're just like the well of Eight's too confusing and, or it's too expensive and you just don't want to do it. So I've been working really hard in the last six months to get us our own stack so that we can use, we can have our own stealthy nutrition products for the gut restoration. If you want to be on board for that and you want us when it launches, you want to get the discount and you want to download that program. Please go to StealthyNutrition.com, to sign up for the email newsletter. If you haven't already, you'll get 10% off any of your um, products that you buy from that. So you could save your 10% if you want. But we are going to send an email out first to our email list about the Gut Restoration Stack and the program. And I have a feeling what's going to happen is it's going to sell out that stack is going to sell out super fast because we've had so much response with the gut restoration program over the last four or five years, um, that it's very popular. So just wanting to let you know that I'm working right now to get all the parts. The other part is the suppliers. It's been really difficult to actually get, um, timely products in our hands, um, due to sampling and, and, and raw materials. And it's just been a bugger ever since, um, COVID started, uh, with the supply chain. So we are going to be there very soon. So please get on the email, um, list and we don't really bombard, we do not bombard you with emails. I wish I was better with emails, but we try to send out a couple a month and discounts and all that. So, you know, um, and, Stealthy nutrition is really where we are trying to post blogs about um, the benefits of these supplements, um, all different types of healthcare topics like, you know, obviously CBD is a big thing on there we talk about the benefits of that and stuff but we do have a blog and so we're really trying to build that, and there will be information on there as we move forward. The other exciting thing about Stealthy Nutrition, um, we have a whole new line of products that is not going to be supplements, but it's going to be something else um, that I think all of you are going to really like. So this is the time to go get be part of StealthyNutrition.com, see the products that we have on there, and we are going to be greatly expanding those um, products this summer to help our community. High quality medical grade supplements, the best in the industry, hands down, no doubt about it. Um, I These are supplements I would sell to my patients. And I will say there's no supplement company in the hunting industry right now that I would highly recommend to my patients. So that being said, go check it out. Okay, so today, the topic that we're going to talk about is actually going to apply a lot to you ladies. And I think that it's uh, very important to talk about because there's two conditions that women suffer with a lot. One is thyroid dysfunction and slow thyroid. The other is anemia, um, iron deficiency anemia. Now, iron deficiency anemia basically means that you're not getting enough iron. And if you don't know what iron actually does for your body, it's important to know that is that iron is an essential nutrient that we need. It is a mineral um, and it is basically used for over a hundred biochemical process in the body. So it's not really surprising that if you don't have enough iron, you can have dozens of different symptoms um, because it's so important. Okay, so let's go through a little bit of what iron does for the body iron is essential for red red blood cell development. Red blood cells are produced by the bone marrow and iron is required in order for your red blood cell um, to bind oxygen. Now, obviously, oxygen is very important for our bodies. We cannot live without oxygen. And so if iron is um, vital in that the whole part of carrying oxygen in the body. Um, Women are most affected um, by low iron because one of the main reasons that you would not have enough iron, um, I mean, granted that you're eating iron in your diet or whatever, is because you bleed every month. So women are gonna tend to have more problems with iron deficiency than men because women um, from the age of menstruation through menopause or up to menopause are losing blood on a monthly basis. So iron has to be replaced either through diet or supplementation. The group that's at highest need for iron is pregnant women. And that's because pregnant women, as they're growing a baby, they have high demands for iron oxygen and they're developing blood volume. So they're producing a lot. They need to produce a lot more red blood cells And blood volume to um, support the baby. And this is where um, we really want to make sure that a woman is not anemic. Unfortunately, it's all too common that a lot of women are anemic at a very young age. And so we want to make sure that the younger girls, um, teenage girls, are definitely getting enough iron in their diets to help them with that red blood blood cell development, and oxygen saturation. Symptoms of iron deficiency anemia include, so um, let's see, persistent fatigue, okay? Which how many people don't have fatigue? (laughs) That's probably the number one reason people come see me is fatigue. Pale skin, shortness of breath, headaches, dizziness, Heart palpitations, dry skin, brittle hair, and hair loss. Um, restless leg syndrome is another one. Uh, brittle or ridged nails, uh, swelling or soreness of the tongue and mouth, which is really interesting. Because so many of these symptoms can correlate with other conditions, uh, a, lo- a lot of times anemia is missed. Now, going back to who needs iron. Um, Obviously, men need iron as well, but they need much lower amount than women do, and that's because men are not losing blood. Makes obvious sense. The other group is postmenopausal women. Once you start stop losing blood, you are pretty much in the same category as a man with how much uh, iron that you do need. So, the first thing that we look at when we have anemia, iron deficiency anemia, is we're going to look at uh, we're going to try to decide whether or not a person has iron deficiency anemia. Is obviously we're going to look at history and we're going to look at these symptoms. So, if a patient comes in, she's a woman of menstruating age, and she starts complaining of any of these symptoms, then we're going to put anemia, iron deficiency anemia, as maybe one of our differentials. The other differential that is very similar to iron deficiency anemia, and actually they are very intertwined because iron is important for thyroid function. Low thyroid is so common today, and I think it's an eight to one ratio of men to women. So it's very rare that I'm diagnosing men with thyroid disease, Um, but it's very common that women are coming in with thyroid disease or what we call kind of youth thyroid sick, where they have low T3, Um, Their numbers may look normal, and I'm going to talk about what labs to run here in a minute, so we'll go over that in a minute, but they'll come in and they'll have this, like, all their thyroid numbers look okay, but their T3 is in the normal range, but it's low normal, and they can't really ever get their T3 up. Now, if you're iron deficient anemic, you're going to have a hard time converting into T3 from T4. Um, thyroid hormone, the whole panel, uh, you know, the whole panel of thyroid hormone is basically testing the different hormones, one secreted by the brain called TSH, which is most of you might know that because your doctors run it in the past, but TSH then tells the thyroid and other peripheral tissues to produce T4. T4 is a inactive form of thyroid and it then has to be converted into T3. T3 is the active form of of thyroid. There's also one called reverse T3. And reverse T3 is kind of the feedback loop that's gonna go back to TSH and it's gonna say, okay, we have enough uh, T3, we don't need to make any more TSH. So it's just, it's like a circle. And what you'll find is that there's enzymes that control these different pathways. And iron is very important for one of the enzyme pathways, especially in conversion from T4 to T3. So what will happen is if you don't have enough iron, you might sometimes just go from T4 to reverse T3. You never get active T3, but the TSH will go down because it's getting the signal. And so the labs will look sort of normal and they'll be in the normal range, but T3 will be low. Now um, the range of T3 in our lab is about 2.2 2.2 to 4.1. Some labs will say optimal in a woman is, a man, a woman is 4.1 to 4.5. It's very, very, very common for me to see women in the reproductive years having a normal T3, but it's maybe like a 2.4, 2.6. It never goes over three, maybe a three, um, but the rest of their numbers are normal. So when they go to their doctor, their doctor just runs TSH and they, their TSH is in the normal range under two or under four, which I wouldn't consider normal, but let's just say, you know, two and they'll say, oh, you're fine. But the person feels lousy. And on top of it, the gal is having all these symptoms. She has really bad fatigue. She has shortness of breath, the kind of shortness of breath where she's like, I just walk up my flight of stairs in my house and I'm like winded. Um, She's mentally fatigued. It's hard for her to get a thought and to, to like, <laughs> get going. Um, she might look pale. Her skin looks paler. It could be the middle of summer and she looks sort of pale. Um, her nails are pale, and her um, she's maybe got ridges in her fingernails. Um, some of the other ones are, which is really interesting because women don't correlate this. Is that the heavier your periods are? the more blood you're gonna lose, right? So the the heavier and the longer your period is, the more blood you're gonna lose. The more blood and the longer your period is, and the more blood you lose, that is actually a sign of anemia. So it makes sense that if you lose a lot of blood, you think, yes, I'm gonna be more anemic because I lose all this blood. But the more anemic you become, the longer and heavier your periods get. So it's this weird symptom. So sometimes as we're working on the iron deficiency, the gal's period becomes better, shorter, not as heavy. She's feeling better, not as many cramps, not as much blood. Wow. This is because iron for some strange reason, the the less iron you have, the more you're going to bleed. So, um, just thinking about thyroid if I'm looking at a patient and I'm thinking they have thyroid deficiency especially if they're a woman that I that is having periods, then I want to test them and make sure they also don't have comin and iron anemia because if they do then we need to treat that otherwise, I can't just be like, oh, well, let's just give you thyroid medication, or let's try to work on your thyroid. If I ignore the anemia, it's really just sort of ignoring the underlying cause. Now, you can have low thyroid, and because of your low thyroid, you could actually, um, you could actually develop iron deficiency, um, and this is because. When you get lower thyroid hormones, so your, your thyroid hormones are suppressed like T3, T4, um, you're going to actually get a suppression of the bone marrow, which is going to decrease the production of red blood cells and that's just going to trigger the onset of anemia so you know you're going to get anemia because you don't have enough iron you also get anemia because you don't have enough red blood cells remember the red blood cell is what attaches iron and the red blood cell is what attaches oxygen so if you can't bind iron and you don't have enough red blood cells those are two ways that you're going to have a problem so if your thyroid's low it suppresses the bone marrow you don't make as many red blood cells so it could actually be your hypothyroidism that's starting the anemia because you don't have enough, um, you have that bone marrow suppression. I found this uh, study in the Endocrine Journal, 43% of people with symptomatic hypothyroidism, so that means symptomatic, low thyroid, have anemia compared to 29% in the general population. So that is almost double the people that have hypothyroid are also going to have anemia um iron deficiency anemia and usually the biggest symptom in both of these conditions is an unremitting fatigue you just cannot get over your fatigue no matter what you do okay and then the inverse is the iron deficiency can cause hypothyroidism so and this is because um Iron is central to the production of the red blood cell and TSH, which is the thyroid hormone that comes from the brain that tells your thyroid, okay, produce hormones. So, iron is important in that that process as well. And the lack of iron can cause a specific form of anemia known as iron deficiency anemia. So, it's like Either you have hypothyroidism to start or you have anemia to start and one causes thyroid and one causes anemia. So they work together. Usually what I see is sometimes it's co committant So if, if, a, if a gal is losing blood every month, she's not eating an iron rich diet. She's got some kind of gut issue. Um, she's having absorption issues. Uh, she's drinking and I'll talk about this in a minute, but you know, she's drinking a bunch of coffee with her iron in the morning or... She's taking her thyroid supplement with her iron in the morning. Iron blocks the absorption of your thyroid supplement. You're gonna have um, you're gonna have the picture right of your iron not getting into the body, and so this inner relationship with iron, your red blood cells, and your thyroid hormone, especially your THS, TSH. Um, is going to cause problems kind of all the way around. Let's see. So there is iron deficiency without anemia. So you can actually have low iron um, and you, you know, you don't necessarily have anemia. If we're going to talk about blood labs, if you want to know um, what your iron status is, usually what I do is I run a panel on a patient, which is Um, We call it an iron panel, but it has what's called iron, TIBC, which is total iron binding capacity, and then percent of saturation. So how can iron bind to the red blood cell? And then what is the percent saturation that your red blood cell has? And then what is your actual blood level of iron at that time? And then I also always run a ferritin. Now, in a lot of cases, you could just run a ferritin and possibly tell that somebody's anemic. It's probably kind of the gold standard because ferritin is a protein and it's responsible for storing iron. So, this is like your bank account. Um, Ferritin has a range. And if it's in that range, obviously you want it in the middle, not therapeutic range. You don't want it too high, range. You don't want it too low. Again, This is the thing with big ranges in labs is like, if you have a 30 range, you might still be in, but that's a low end of the range. And then if you're at 200 or whatever it is, you're up there, you're getting a little too high. So you want to be kind of in the middle of the therapeutic range. Um, And that ferritin basically helps you store iron. So you are going to take in iron and you're not going to utilize all that iron. So your body is going to store it. Um, and that's what ferritin does. It it stores the iron. This is why having too much iron, especially in men and postmenopausal women is dangerous because of ferritin, it will take it and store it and it stores it in the liver. Okay. And this is really hard on the liver. We don't want that. It's very inflammatory. Ferritin is actually a marker for inflammation as well. So if ferritin is too low, it means you don't have enough protein to actually um, store iron in the body. So you just don't have a lot of money in the bank. If your ferritin is too high, it means that your body is taking all your iron and storing it. And you can, can see like people having iron issues, like they don't have enough iron in their blood, but their ferritin is really high. So the body is taking it and storing it. And this is where it becomes dangerous and becomes inflammatory for the organs. Um, I've seen high ferritin, obviously, in people that have um, the liver disorder where you store iron is called hemochromatosis. And I have worked with some patients that have that. and in a lot of cases, it's actually genetic. So they have genetic family lines of this where they store it. So you you know if you didn't know that about a patient, you run them and their ferritin's either borderline high. Or you run a sequence of labs over six months to 12 months and you see this like the ferritin's high and then it's normal and it's high and it's normal. And then you can run some genes to see if there's genetic um, stuff like that. But hemochromatosis is where you're gonna store iron in the liver and that's an actual medical condition. But a lot, sometimes I've had patients who are alcoholics and their ferritin is super high. Um, And then again, it's very inflammatory. So as it tells me, Something not right is going on. Something very inflammatory is going on. But on the other end, if you don't have enough ferritin, it just means you cannot trans, you're not storing iron, and that protein is too low for you to even have that backup. So you basically don't have any money in the bank. Whatever iron you get, you're using up. And so obviously, if you're bleeding every month, you're just getting rid of all that iron, you're losing red blood cells and you're going to continue to have those symptoms. Um, Now, hyperthyroidism, which is more rare than hypothyroidism. Hyperthyroidism is like Graves' disease and people's thyroid just getting too fast. Um, We can see that in people with hyperthyroidism, they're going to have an elevation of ferritin. So let's just say you ran, you run around, you know, you run their iron panel or their ferritin or whatever, and you see that it's high again. Figuring out what your differentials might be, and if they come in complaining of anxiety, weight loss, insomnia, um, over sweating, heart palpitations, you can also have really bad fatigue with hyperthyroidism, almost like narcoleptic fatigue, um, but you're you're like wired and tired really bad. Then. And you see high ferritin, you definitely need to check their thyroid because they could be having some hyperthyroidism. And then the interesting thing is that when you have a hyperproduction of ferritin, this ferritin triggers an inflammatory um, response. And what the inflammatory response does, it actually decreases your metabolism of iron. So, while your ferritin super high, it's suppressing your metabolism of iron. So this is the other thing is that if you're hyperthyroid, you are going to not maybe have any ironness either. So you could still have an anemia with high ferritin um, because it's suppressing iron metabolism. Let's talk a little bit about the ranges. If you're going to go to your doctor and you're going to get tested, um, you want to get tested for ferritin. And this is going to measure the iron storage in your body. The normal range in men is about uh, 40 to 300 nanograms per milliliter. Okay. So you can see that's a huge range. You're probably going to want a guy to be a hundred, that middle range somewhere. Okay. Now, if you have a man who comes in and he's got a 50, a 70, 70, 60, 50, 40 ferritin, you need to start doing some differentials on why his ferritin is so low because he's heading towards, um, anemia or looking at his iron as well. And then in women, it's going to be about 20 to 200. Um, and I say any gal under 70 is, is likely going to be iron deficiency anemic. Um, and uh, also, I will run the iron if I'm concerned that iron is also low, and they're they're the way they bind iron is low. So I just kind of always run that panel initially, but usually ferritin is a good marker to run for diagnosis and treatment in the future. Um, so if you do get a low ferritin, you can basically just say the person has iron deficiency. It's pretty definitive that that's what's going on because you need you need iron to transport ferritin to transport the protein so if it's too low you don't have enough iron around um and if you're thinking someone has hyperthyroidism and their ferritin comes back really high um then you can for sure say they have hyperthyroidism no doubt about it ferritin is not part of a routine blood screen so you have to get it you have to request it Basically, um, I don't know why they don't just run it on all women for sure that are young and uh, of reproductive age or having men's uh, periods. So, probably should run that. And any woman who's got hypothyroidism, complains of fatigue, when you look at them, they look sickly um, and they're just completely worn out, especially if they have a history of blood loss besides periods. Now, this is the group of things. Why would, what are all the reasons that somebody could have this? Well, blood loss is the biggest one, obviously. So periods one, um, childbirth is another one. So you lose blood. How much blood did you lose during childbirth? Um, obviously injuries where you're losing a lot of blood, um, maybe bleeding disorders or anything where you're going to be losing blood. So in men, it's sort of the same deal, right? Now, men do not, have periods, obviously. And so why would a guy be losing blood? The main reason that a guy is losing blood is because he probably has some sort of a bleed internally. This is another reason women can have it. I've seen it in postmenopausal women who are anemic, and maybe they were always anemic and they never got their iron fixed. And it's a gut issue. But you always want to rule out and make sure there is not a gut bleed somewhere internally that's just slowly seeping. Um, my aunt had this recently. She's very ill. She was in the hospital for a long time, intensive care. She has a bunch of liver issues. Um, and basically her, what was happening was her liver had these little holes in it. And it was basically seeping blood into her stomach, like... They had to go in and patch up like cauterize all these hundreds of little things that were just slowly leaking blood into her system. So the things to watch for um, if you think you're bleeding internally is obviously having any of the symptoms of anemia, fatigue, shortness of breath, pale skin, not feeling well. And then in your stool, if you have like overtly black stools, like black stool is a sign of blood and that's usually blood that's upper in the thing. Another would be bleeding ulcer, right? men stressed out, get an ulcer, it's bleeding. Um, Unless they're coughing up blood, you know, it's going to go the other direction. So any black stool. Now, frank red blood in the toilet, that's usually on the lower end. So how I would compare this is like Crohn's disease versus like uh, ulcerative colitis. These are irritable bowel diseases. Crohn's, you can bleed. Ulcerative colitis, you can bleed, but Crohn's is higher in the GI tract. Ulcerative colitis is lower in the GI tract. And so you're going to have more frank red blood with ulcerative colitis. But that's another thing. Does a person have irritable bowel disease? Because when these people have flares, they can bleed and they can lose blood. And so that could be another reason that people with chronic disease have more anemia because they more easily lose blood related to whatever their chronic disease is. and unfortunately, too, there's a lot of medications that people take, especially like biologics. Um, some of the uh, biologic infusions that are used for autoimmune conditions, like rheumatoid arthritis or ankling spondylitis, or some of these, um, they can uh, use up iron. And so they you have to get iron infusions. Um, in these cases, in a lot of cases, people just get very anemic. And so usually they're giving people iron infusions because the drug itself. Um, and I didn't look up the bind, the the action of these drugs, but I know patients that are on them. I, I can't remember if it's a binding issue with the iron or if it's using up iron. I don't know. I'm sorry. I didn't look that up, but just remember, anytime you're on medication, you can never not rule out medication until you've looked up the mechanism of action. And so these heavy duty biologic drugs, and I'm sure there's a bunch of other drugs that deplete iron. Um, so always look that up if you're on a drug and you don't know if it, that could be causing your anemia. but of course, any bleeding situation. So in men or postmenopausal women, we still see ferritin really low, Uh, we have to be concerned with that. Now, I have had some patients that they just run, I think it's more of an absorption issue, a gut issue compromise. they just don't absorb iron well. And so they're going to tend to run on that lower end. And then especially if they're like exercising, and they're demanding a lot from the red blood cell, um, they're having a lot of turnover. And then of course, if they have hypothyroidism or thyroid disease, then they may be utilizing the iron differently as and that is playing into it. So in my profession, I'm always thinking of the gut and I'm always thinking of food first. Um, and you know, Ryan and I have talked a ton about nutrient-dense animal products and um, iron falls into that. So there's two types of iron. There's heme iron and there's non-heme iron. Heme iron is better absorbed by the body. So heme iron comes from animal products. So liver, oysters, beef, um, organs, anything that's got some blood or has some animal product to it, that's gonna be heme iron. And our cells uh, utilize that better. Plant products have non-heme iron. And so plant products do have a lot of iron in them. The problem with that is that non-heme iron in plants, has sometimes competitors in the plant, like phytates or oxalates, or a number of different things within the plant that make it actually harder for your body to absorb. You want to think about um, those foods. So what I what I tell people is: beef is great, oysters are great, liver is great. Um, actually, chocolate has quite a bit of iron in it. I mean, I don't always recommend that, but it does have iron in it. Um, sardines have iron in them uh hard-boiled eggs have some iron chicken and turkey have some iron and those kinds of things lots of be lots of uh, beans and peas legumes these are all higher in iron as well but again there are grains so there can be some competitive inhibition spinach you do have to cook the spinach because of the phytates it has iron as well cashews do um Whole wheat does, raisins do, tomatoes, cooked tomatoes do, and then tofu. But really, like, if you want to get the most absorbable type of iron through your diet, you want to think about eating animal-rich heme, um, heme heme-containing iron foods. Now, that being said, if you're not, you know, if I've had people send me messages and be like, "Well, I've done all those things," you know, I've I've been eating those foods and. Uh, my iron is still really low. Well, then you may need to supplement every day with iron. So um, usually 18 milligrams is the RDA for women of menstruating age. And what I find is somebody who's pretty anemic, a woman who's pretty anemic, she really needs to take anywhere between like 60 and 120 milligrams a day for a certain period of time. And then we just recheck the ferritin, see how long it is. And we base the dosing on that. Uh, Another strategy is to be taking vitamin C. So you'll see a lot of supplements have vitamin C with them and other kind of antioxidant vitamin C um, components because vitamin C actually helps you uh, absorb iron. And so making sure you're doing that. Another thing, like I said earlier, Don't take it with your thyroid medication. Um, Don't try not to take your iron or eat iron rich foods when you're drinking coffee or drinking black teas, um, because black teas have tannins in them. Tannins actually block absorption of iron. So what's a common scenario in today's world? Everybody's drinking coffee and everybody's drinking black tea, Earl Grey, whatever your English breakfast every morning. And If you're drinking that with eating really high iron-containing foods, the guess is you're probably not going to absorb as much from your food, and especially if you're taking your supplement with it, you might not absorb it as well. So think about taking your supplements away from foods and or components like tannins, coffee, those kinds of things are going to block it. Increase your vitamin C. Don't take it with some of your other uh, medications. And then lastly, some people do need to get iron infusions. So these are like IV infusions and uh, they just feel better because they cannot get their blood level up good enough. And I think this is in severe cases of anemia, maybe severe cases of blood loss, um, especially in the beginning with blood loss and... Um, there may just be some genetic component, again, gut compromise, that people cannot absorb iron very well, even when they're eating all the foods and taking the supplements and doing the right thing. Um, So sometimes iron infusions are necessary. And I will see when people get enough iron, the difference in how you feel is quite dramatic compared to when you don't have it. I also think that we just kind of get used to living with this low-grade fatigue. People do and. You just don't think about it. You know, you just don't think like it could be anemia. could be something like that. But um, usually what I'll see with women that are having those problems, you know, if we start supplementing, we start getting iron rich foods and we cut a lot of the tannins and stuff out of their diet, um, they, they slowly start feeling better and they get that. So when you go to your doctor, the best thing to do is just to request a ferritin. You can also request an iron panel if you want. Um, if you have a good doctor and they suspect that you've lost blood or you've had that in the past, then they should be running on that anyway, especially if you have any severe fatigue. Vegetarians, that was another question I got. I don't know. I don't think vegetarian is very easy on women. I don't think it's good because you're not getting, probably not getting any heme iron unless you're supplementing with a... Uh, with a um, fair, usually a ferrous chelate, which is an iron supplement. You, we, I would recommend the chelates. So that's another question: What iron supplement do I take? So iron is constipating, um, and that's why a lot of women will take it, and then they're like, "Oh, I don't want to take this because I get constipated." So taking a, a chelated form of iron, I'm taking it with vitamin C. Uh, not taking the prescription iron. Those can be like the high dose prescription irons. Those can be really constipating. Um, and then the other form would be one like Floridax and Floridax is a liquid that you drink and it's like in a berry formula. So it has lots of vitamin C with it and it's berry. And I've done that in the past. I love it. It tastes good. Um, kids like it. So, um, if you have teenage girls, they'll drink it interesting thing. I had my older daughter checked when she was like nine, I had her nine or 10. We were trying to figure out what was going on with her because she had a potato allergy and we didn't know it. And she was kind of sick. She was low in iron and she was not having periods. So that goes to show me the potato might have been destroying her gut lining. She was not absorbing iron as efficiently. I have not retested her, but um, that is something to think about too. Children can have anemia. It's very common. So if your child is tired, complains of fatigue, gets easily winded with exercise, looks pale, um, is overly emotional, and these kinds of things, you see their nails look funky then definitely think of that. And you can get kids chewable iron. Uh, and again, just a small dose for them would be fine because they're not losing blood yet. And obviously if it's boys, boys are not going to be losing blood. So, you, but boys, I've also seen young boys iron deficient, and this is a gut and a, and a dietary thing. Remember too, if you're not getting enough of that heme iron, uh, and the kids also don't eat a lot of plant foods like they should sometimes. They're not maybe even getting the non-heme iron. That's where it comes in. So all you hunters out there who are providing organs, you're providing meat, um, you are getting that heme iron. And and if you are struggling with anemia or your wife is, or you're the gal who hunts and you get your own meat, but you still think you're struggling with an, anemia, it's gut compromise that I want you to think about, right? Or do you have a slow thyroid? And that's doing it as well. There's a number of different reasons, uh, but again, why would you not be absorbing that iron from the food? And this is where digestive capacity, hydrochloric acid, um, enzyme activity, liver function, and the gut barrier compromise comes in. So back to the gut, the gut stuff that we are always referencing. Start there. Start with your gut. Um, okay, so you're going to take that iron if you need it, um, and fighting the constipation. Uh, sometimes people will have constipation. They might have vomiting, diarrhea, um, and then iron can also blacken your stool sometimes. So sometimes people freak out cause they start taking iron and their stool gets darker. And then they think, oh God, I do have a gut bleed, but they didn't have that before. So you got to think about that. That's where the Florida may come in. A few questions. I've got quite a few here. We're going to go over just a few questions for those of you who asked, um, what about vitamin D? My son has been struggling a lot of fatigue and the doctor said vitamin D after labs. Well, that's a good question. Interestingly enough, a vitamin D is actually important as well um, in energy metabolism in the body. It's a a hormone, so it's not really a vitamin. It does multiple things in many different systems of the body body. And I'm going to do a whole other podcast just on vitamin D uh, because I think it's um, so valuable in today, especially with what we're dealing with today with COVID and this kind of thing. Um, But it is super important in many aspects. And one of them is anemia. There's also evidence that vitamin D may be protective against anemia by supporting blood, red blood cell. It's called urethropoiesis. So vitamin D is protective because it supports red blood cell formation. Um, Other hormones that have to do with calcium, um, including fibroblast growth factor 23 and parathyroid hormone, which regulates calcium in your blood, have also been found to be associated with adequate levels of iron and adequate levels of red blood cells. So basically vitamin D and calcium levels, right? Vitamin D is essential for your bone to utilize calcium. Your parathyroid gland, these little glands on your thyroid, they make calcium. So calcium hormones, there's a whole group of them. And then the parathyroid hormone, they've also been found to be associated with stabilizing iron, which is called homeostasis. So having good balance of iron and production of red blood cells. So yes, not having enough vitamin D might actually lead your body, not only to having calcium issues with the bone, but it's associated with having possibly lower iron status and lower red blood cell production. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of clinical trials going on this, but they're, they're kind of this, this one that I found on PubMed, this was a, um, this was kind of looking into the emerging association. This was from 2015. Um, they're saying there definitely needs to be more uh, research going into vitamin D as a treatment approach for anemia. Now, I would say in today's world, everybody needs vitamin D. Now, I think you should get your levels tested and that's because some people bind vitamin D really well And you can give them a good dose, and they will get their levels up. And then you can decrease the dose, and they can they can um, manage manage their levels. Some people genetically have really poor vitamin D um, they have poor vitamin D receptor attachment issues. So even at high doses, they just don't attach vitamin D very well. And those are people that tend to have to be on higher doses of vitamin D long term, and they still don't get this huge rush blood in um, blood value. So We'll talk more about that when I talk about vitamin D in the podcast, another podcast, but it looks like vitamin D definitely has influence on whether or not you're going to be able to um, ward off anemia, which is really cool. So yeah, I would definitely say um, having vitamin D status is important. Um, And then this woman asked, I'm suffering with all of these symptoms. What food should I eat and what should I avoid? So talked about that again eating those heme, iron foods, animal foods. Uh, organs are my favorite, liver my favorite. So what I did last night was I did, I took grind, uh, Brian will just take the scraps off of animals and he, so he puts it in, he says, grind, he'll write it on things. So that means we're gonna grind it into hamburger. So I took a big package of those out. I took an elk liver out and I took a mule deer heart out. And what I did was with my Meet Your Maker meat grinder, which is fabulous. If you don't have one of those, you need one of those. Cause it is like the creme de la creme of meat grinders. Um, I ground up the venison, half of the venison heart. And then I did about a third of the elk liver. Cause this isn't even the whole elk liver. I think this was maybe only half of the elk liver that we had, but I did about a third of the liver and I ground those together. Then I add spices like garlic and Italian herbs. So my kids will eat it. And then I grilled it in a little bit of bacon fat. We had bacon in the morning. So I used a little bit of the bacon grease and I grilled them in the bacon grease. And we had hamburgers, right? I had a burger with salad. My kids had hamburgers. They both ate them up. The neighbor girl ate them up. Everybody loves it. Liver is gross. A lot of people don't want to eat it. Um, we do like heart right off the grill. You know, that's fine. But we also have kidneys and other organs. Eh, they can of taste, whatever. But these are all really rich, rich sources of heme iron. So I want my girls to eat them. I want to eat them myself. And so this is a great way to do that. So if you are, if you do have wild game and your husband and or yourself is harvesting the organs, that's a great way to be making sure that you're getting heme iron. Um, Again, foods that I would avoid, the biggest foods that I would avoid would be, um, well, obviously processed foods. Processed foods do nothing for you. They destroy the gut lining. Um, If you have allergies to gluten and flour, uh, gluten, dairy, These are also inflammatory foods. For some people, you don't do well with them. It's going to destroy your gut lining. In my situation, like my kids' situations, they're allergic to potatoes. So we totally, we cut potato out of our diet. We don't do those. And then sugar. Sugar is probably the hardest. A lot of my patients who can easily get rid of gluten, easily get rid of dairy, boy, they have a hard time with sugar, those kinds of foods. And then obviously not eating iron-rich heme foods with a bunch of tannin, foods or foods that are going to block absorption of your iron, getting enough vitamin C and are taking your vitamin C around your iron containing foods and or supplements. That would be another good thing to list. And I listed the foods earlier in the podcast um, that I think are great. And if you're a vegetarian, I think you need to supplement just plain and simple, but those are the foods that I would recommend. And if you are if you get your ferritin checked and you are under 70, I would also advise supplementation. Okay. Are low thyroids linked to mold exposure? So yes. So just like being anemic can mess up your thyroid and cause the hormone thyroid conversions to be off, toxic toxic exposure and mental, environmental exposures do the same exact thing. Actually, mold toxicity, mycotoxins, we call them, um, exposure is really not good. I'm currently finishing up my Bredesen protocol for cognitive impairment training to be a certified practitioner. And there's a whole section on mycotoxin exposure. So there's an actual Alzheimer's type that is because of toxic exposure. And a lot of it is related to mold. So definitely something to think about if you, um, are, you know, you have mold in your environment now here in Montana. Yeah, you can get mold. There's no doubt about it, but we don't have it like we had in Washington. I mean, in Washington, it was a nightmare. It was constantly dealing with water and rain and humidity and all that. So if you live in a really humid, wet place, um, you definitely want to think about it. But if you live in an old house, you want to think about it. If you have jobs where you might be exposed or you work in an old building or you have air conditioning that's old or anything like that, and you're just not feeling well, I've had, I remember in the past, there was a school, old school that teachers were working in, and they were all getting really sick. And they were being exposed to mold. Uh, So something to think about all that for sure. Our iron peels the best route if my ferritin is low, iron is on the below average side as well, but not as bad. So yeah, so we're always consuming iron. This is the other thing with blood levels is that if I take your blood right now, your serum is going to give me what your iron level is in your blood right now. If I look at your ferritin as well, that's going to tell me how much of that protein you have so that you can carry the iron and store it. If your ferritin's low, it's going to say, well, you might have normal iron in your blood. Your iron might be a little low, but it might actually be normal but if you don't have enough ferritin you're not going to be able to utilize that iron as well and you're not going to be able to store it as well which you're going to need for backup right i would say that yes like i said earlier low ferritin is pretty much going to be iron deficiency anemia so you've got to replace the iron that way one way of replacing the iron that i did not talk about was cast iron skillets so i have a really funny story i have a patient postmenopausal woman in her 60s with elevated red blood cell production and her ferritin came back high and her iron was high. And I was like, what's going on? So I'm like, are you eating a lot of are you taking a bunch of iron supplements? Nope. Are you eating like she didn't eat a lot of red meat or or she didn't eat any organs? She maybe ate red meat like twice a week. What could it be? She was cooking all her food in cast iron skillet. Now we love our cast iron and we cook in cast iron all the time. Uh, Absolutely. That's a great way to get iron is your cast iron skillet. (laughs) Not if you don't need a ton of iron. So in her case, she was storing that she was, her ferritin was going up because she had so much iron coming in from the cast iron skillet. And so we just did literally six weeks, no cast iron skillet all her numbers went into normal range. So what I told her is like, it's not like you can't ever cook on your cast iron again, but let's not cook every meal on the cast iron. Um, And so that is another thing to think about is your cast iron skillet. It does provide iron for you. Um, But yes, supplementing is probably gonna be the best. If your ferritin is under 70, you're probably gonna need 60 to 120 milligrams a day for a while. And then I would get your ferritin rechecked and see where it's at. Yes. So I got a question about hair loss. So yes, anemia can cause hair loss and hypothyroid can cause hair loss. See how all these symptoms intertwine here. Um, so you should obviously, if you are losing hair, your provider should be ordering a ferritin, even if you're a postmenopausal woman, because there's lots of reasons for hair loss. You could have androgen issues, you know, um, you could have uh, hypothyroidism, you could be having a lot of stress, Uh, you could just be getting older, like there's a lot of reasons that you could be losing hair, you could have a genetic thing, right? But you could also be anemic. (laughs) And so even a postmenopausal woman, I've seen postmenopausal women that are anemic, and my guess is they were anemic before they went into menopause, it was never properly treated. And usually, almost all the time when women come in complaining about their hair loss, they're going to have some sort of fatigue issue. And so we troubleshoot that. But yes, hair loss is definitely also a sign of anemia. I mean, just your hair being kind of brittle and not as nice as it used to be, both thyroid and that. Um, can iron be related to PCOS? Hmm. Well, thyroid can definitely be related to PCOS. You know, PCOS classically is where you have cysts on your ovaries and you start having irregular periods and you tend to be more, um, what we call five alpha reductase dominant. So you take your androgens, you turn them into a more potent androgen called DHT, and you just tend to be more androgenic or your testosterone might be higher with PCOS, you might experience weight gain. You might experience acne, um, oilier skin. Maybe you are noticing that your hair is thinning and falling out. So definitely could be related to that. And if anemia and hypothyroid bring into that, you can see how PCOS could play in there too. The biggest thing with PCOS, and that's a whole other podcast on itself, but that could be, um, insulin resistance. So insulin resistance can also go hand in hand with PCOS and we could do a whole other podcast on insulin and insulin resistance, which we probably will because I think it's actually the most important hormone that's going to regulate everything um, is insulin, especially as we age. But yeah, definitely uh, PCOS you can see I, I, PCOS, a lot of PCOS gals are fatigued and they don't feel good and they're gaining weight. And um, they're having irregular periods. So if you're hypothyroid, you could be tired, gaining weight, and having irregular periods. The other thing about, uh, about all these conditions, PCOS, hypothyroid, and anemia is fertility. Okay, so why do pregnant women need more iron than anybody else? Because they're building blood volume and they're building red blood cells. Babies need iron. Women need iron. You know, if you've been pregnant, boy, there's nothing like pregnancy to drag your butt down. And if you are already anemic going into pregnancy, it's very hard. So typically pregnant women, we're going to be giving her a lot more iron. We're also in prenatal women that have not gotten pregnant yet, but prenatal vitamins, they typically always have iron in them because women need to have their iron status up before they get pregnant. Um, and if you are hypothyroid and your thyroid is not working appropriately and your thyroid hormones are not working appropriately and at good levels, you are not going to get pregnant. Um, And if you have PCOS and you have high androgens and you're not having regular periods, it's going to be very hard to get pregnant because you're not ovulating, let's say. So all of these play into fertility as well. And that is uh, the, the big, the big factor. Now, I'm going to share. So those are the questions that I had. I had a couple more, but I think that's all I'm going to do for now. Um, Thanks to those you you gals and guys who wrote those in. I'm going to give you a personal story about myself. And it's kind of a, it's just, it's sort of a hard story for me to share just because it was such a personal event in my life. But I think it's important um, when you're a patient, you know, you look at doctors and you think doctors are like... (laughs) they don't understand or, you know, they're, um, they're in a different boat than you. And so I'm here to tell you that I, I personally have felt anemia and for anyone out there suffering with it, like I hands down, um, understand how hard it is. The other thing is, is because women tend to deal with it more due to blood loss of all kinds, just in the the monthly menstruation, can be really hard for men to relate to this type of fatigue because men are not losing blood and they typically do not tend to be anemic. Men that are anemic do know what I'm talking about and it really sucks but if you if you are anemic or you've been anemic and you're a woman and you have a partner who just doesn't understand like why you can't hike up that mountain as well, why you're tired all the time, why you're emotional and exhausted and could sleep twelve hours and still not feel rested, this is this could be why. So you know, going to a doctor, getting your labs checked at least. You know, trying to improve your gut health, trying to improve your nutritional status, and also you guys just being patient with your wives because this is such a hard thing and it takes time. Once you become anemic, this is not an overnight fix. It is not an overnight fix. It takes time. So my personal story is, I had my second baby at 42, and we had both our children at home, which we absolutely loved and. It was life-changing event for us. So, I mean, I know, so right now I'm in a preface. I know a lot of you out there, are healthcare providers, nurses, trauma nurses. I mean, Tanya Avery is one of our good friends and I know she's a labor and delivery nurse and she's laughing and shaking her head at me right now uh, for having babies at home because she's seen the worst of the worst and I get it. Um, but, you know, we had our first daughter at home. It was a long labor, but it was great and I was fine. Then we decided to have our second one at home, just because the first one was such a great experience for us. And the birth itself was easy compared to my first daughter. It was like clockwork. She was, everything started on her due date. I pushed for like 30 minutes, maybe not even that. I literally, in between contractions, I, I had no medication. I was sleeping in between contractions. It was so completely different than my first daughter. So we had Tana, our littlest one, the birth itself was just great. And then, you know, you're in that merit, you're in that baby bliss when they're born and you're, you're endorphins and all the chemicals that are as a, as a, as a woman who just birthed the baby, you know, are super skyrocket high. You're flying high. And especially when you haven't had medication, because I, the medication, you, you you know, you could, you you just like, I think this, you are feeling all that way more because the pain and all that stuff. Um, I don't know. I've never had my baby in a hospital with drugs, and I see now why women do that because it's hard and it's painful. But um, so what happened was after the birth, you know, the placenta delivers. That's the second part of birth, and my placenta would not deliver, and it would not deliver for a while. And so eventually, the, the the midwife who had delivered our first child, and we we ultimately trusted. Um, she helped me deliver my placenta, but what happened during the process was I lost a lot of blood. So something happened during the process. And at the time we didn't know, I didn't know what it was. We didn't know what it was, but I lost an enormous amount of blood very quickly. Now, if you've ever lost a lot of blood, so if you've been in the situation I was in, or you've, I don't know, (laughs) been shot or hurt or in an accident or in a surgery or somewhere where, you know, people lose blood, um, you don't really realize what's happening. And in my situation, I was so high and euphoric on the baby hormones and kind of the natural opioids that your body produces for pain and all that. I just didn't really realize um, how bad it was. And I remember sitting there looking down going, oh, that's not good. That can't be good. And um, it took a little bit of time. But, you know, I all of a sudden I started feeling my whole body go numb. My face go numb. My lips go numb. So now people were asking me questions and I could not respond. I could hear them, but I couldn't respond. And then the next thing I knew, I was like in this amazing dream like dreaming about whatever I don't remember but it was absolutely fantastic wherever I was and then I was brought back and I remember being like pissed about it like mad like what what do you want like I you know and I realized like I had passed out and so they brought me back um they got me stabilized through IV um and once I had some fluid in me through the IV, then they were able to stabilize me. And then I remember there was a lot of conversation about, you know, what would be the next step and etc. And I, I honestly have to say, I'm not really sure I knew what I did or what I said. Um, and I think that the midwives that were there were very competent. And they obviously had seen this before. And so they were doing what they needed to to do to get me stabilized. And I think at the time, there was a lot of conversation about whether or not I needed to go to the hospital. Because they weren't quite sure why I had lost the blood. Had my placenta ripped? Was there a piece of tissue still in there? Was there something going on? And so of course, me being in the position I was in, I knew nothing that was going on. And I was quite out of it. And of course, Ryan, you know, the baby got handed off to Ryan. And I also don't think that the urgency of what was going on was necessarily communicated to him as well. Um, and so basically the, the short story is that I, I think we decided not to go to the hospital and I can't really say that. I know that I think I decided that, but, um, I kind of stopped bleeding. I mean, I I stopped bleeding. I just lost a lot of blood. My hematocrit went down considerably pretty bad. It went really low. And so there's this conversation about me going to the hospital and getting a blood transfusion. And I was not really into that. I was sort of scared by that. I didn't want to go. I just had a baby. What are you going to do? Throw me in the car. And like, you know, and you're not thinking straight, like you're not thinking like I could die. You're just not thinking straight because you just had a baby. It's, It's a different place. And so, um, they stabilized me with fluids and I started feeling better and then I was okay, you know, and then I laid there for a few hours, five, six hours, something. And then I seemed to be okay. And then, um, they sat me up, uh, they wanted to take me to the bathroom and they sat me up and I passed out again. So I sat up and I just didn't have enough blood volume for blood to go to my brain. So I passed out again. And then, um, of course I woke up from that and, they were like, okay, you can't move. You can't get up. We have to decide what to do. And at the time I, I just think I said, you know, I don't want to go to the hospital. I don't want a blood transfusion I'll just do this myself. I'll figure this out myself. And so, um, I, m- my midwife had me, you know, I had an IV bag. I probably had five or six IV bags that day. I remember. I had to eat like every 10 minutes because what would happen is I'd start to feel my face go numb again. Like now I knew what was going to happen. So I started feeling my face go numb and all that kind of stuff. And, um, whew, you know, it was scary. So then I started realizing, okay, this is like real. And I, I could actually, something bad could happen. So then I got really afraid to go to sleep. Ryan was, um, at the time he had killed a deer and he'd kept the liver. I, I told him to keep kept the liver and, We couldn't eat it because we thought it was gross. So we chopped it up into little pieces and put it in the freezer. Well, luckily we had that. And so he was feeding me pellets of liver and giving me large doses of actual iron every hour. Um, And basically, what happens when you lose that much blood is you have to build your blood volume up. And the reason they give you a blood transfusion is because you don't have enough blood volume. Um, your your bone marrow is either going to take too long to produce enough red blood cells that you need for your brain and your organs, um, or it's just going to take time. And I opted not to go to the hospital, and I opted not to have the blood transfusion. I don't really know why, to tell you the truth. I think I I'm just sort of a stubborn person, and I just felt like I can I can handle this. So I spent a week in bed a week in bed, not getting up. The absolute worst migraine I've ever had in my life. Like, I can't even describe the migraine, um, for two days. Um, yeah, it was not the best moment of my life. <laughs> and I had like quite a long recovery from that. So, I was able to go downstairs. I don't know, it took me a a week or two, 10 days to go downstairs or longer. And then I could do, you know, you have a baby, you're a new mom, you're exhausted already. You're not sleeping already. Um, But I was very anemic. My hematocrit had come back up. I was only bleeding a little bit. And then about four weeks after her birth, I was standing at the kitchen doing dishes at the sink. It's funny, like these things you never forget, like I remember looking out the window, it was the, it was like she was born middle of, it was like the end of May, it was right before Memorial Day weekend, it was actually right around this time in May. Um, It was actually the week before Memorial Day, because I ended up, yeah, so what happened was, I was standing there, and I literally thought I peed my pants, and I looked down and there was just blood everywhere. And I was like, oh my gosh. So, um, of course I called Ryan, he was on a trip to Oregon or something. He got back and called my midwife and she said, yeah, you need to go get an ultrasound right now. So I went in, I got an ultrasound and they found, could see a little piece of tissue, which they, which was placenta, pretty sure. So what had happened is the placenta had ripped. Um, and they said, yeah, that's probably what's bleeding and you're going to need to get that out. So I had to find a surgeon to take that out Friday on Memorial day weekend, I had an appointment and, um, basically the woman just scolded me the whole appointment for having a baby at home. Um, and then, uh, uh the next week she did the surgery for me. I'd have a DNC where they went in and they cleaned it out. And, um, but I did not need a blood transfusion because by that point I had built my blood volume back up but it was really a traumatic event for me. It's like, it's one of those things I look back on now and I'm like, I think if I was going to have another baby now, which I never would because I'm too old, but I would definitely have it in a hospital. And not because the experience of the birth wasn't fabulous. They both were. It was because of that bleeding incident. And looking back on it, if I had, you know, thought about it better, and we had made a better decision, and I also think if we had been better informed about it, I probably would have went to the hospital, had a blood transfusion, had the DNC there, and I would have saved myself a good six weeks, four to six weeks of being absolutely miserable and anemic to the point of literally lifting, opening the fridge was exhausting, like exhausting. So since that time, and that was Tana's six now um i have struggled and prior to Tana and even with paley i struggled with anemia it was kind of one of it's just one of my things i struggle with and so ever since tiana i've had this up and down roller coaster of dealing with anemia and um i'll have good phases where i'm really good and then i'll have probably what happens is i get run down i'm overdoing it i'm either over exercising i'm pushing myself too hard um And I'm not maybe eating as well as I should, etc. I'm not supplementing. I'm not taking my iron because I actually have to take iron on top of all my um, heme foods that I'm eating. I just quit doing that sometimes. You know, you start feeling better. Patients do it all the time. You start feeling better, you just stop doing it, which is fine. But in my case, it's gone back down. So in the last couple of months, I started feeling that fatigue set in again, that feeling again of like, what is going on? Why am I dragging? And I'll have a good week. And then I'll exercise and feel great. And then I'll have days where I just feel like I can't get out of bed. So I had my blood tested. And what is my ferritin? 34. And I need to be over 70. Not only that, I have historically low T3. So my thyroid looks perfect, except my T3 never gets above three. One time it got above three last year. And I was feeling pretty good then but it rarely ever gets over that. So, you know, it's like, I'm always having to remind myself as a doctor too, like practice what you preach. My T3 is low, which is going to mean I'm sort of thyroid, low thyroid, even though my numbers look okay, I'm low. I'm not going to get as much metabolic activity. My brain isn't going to work as well. My hair is going to get thinner. My nails are going to be cracked. All of these things I'll have. I have brain fog. Again, getting my iron levels back up will help my thyroid. And then I can get my T3 up to a normal range. Looking back on it, you know, it's like things happen and I'm lucky I, it wasn't worse. And I'm lucky that I'm still here to tell this story. And, um, you know, I am, I am for my age, I'm really healthy and I feel fairly good. But a lot of the signs, you know, when I'm not feeling well, I have to remember Um, what I need to be doing to keep up my activity level, to make sure I'm getting good red blood cell production, that I have enough iron to carry oxygen so that I have energy. And um, these are all things that I also deal with on a daily basis. And it's really, really common for women. So I wanted to share this podcast because I've seen so much of this in my practice. I struggle with it as well. And I know many of you out there are struggling. The Hunt and Harvest Health podcast is for general health information only. This podcast is not to be used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment of any health condition or problem. Any questions regarding your health should be addressed to your own primary care physician or other health care provider.